Today's a challenging day. Come on, Brent. Today's a, a challenging day. This is a different day than a normal Sunday message. Thank you so much. Um, and it isn't a message I was planning on speaking in this series. We're in this series called Jesus Town right now, which is putting Jesus at the center of what we're building. The greatest threat to Christianity is not another religion. It's not even secularism. It's a Christianity without Christ. It's spirituality of I can just come and gather and do small groups and be good and try to get some quotes that will inspire me and be a good person, but we're putting Jesus back in the center of what we're building our faith. And, but this isn't a message I was planning on speaking. And this isn't actually even going to be a typical way I preach. Typically I preach, my style of preaching is I take a text from Scripture, we always use Scripture, and we unpack it and pull out truth and we observe what God is saying to our church through that text in your lives, and then we try to find applicable ways where we can use God's word in our daily lives to become more like Jesus, to be closer to him and follow his plan. And this one's a little different. Uh, like all of us, I woke up two weeks ago to the horrific news of attacks on Israel. And if you have had any um, exposure to the social media or the news, you've seen this. And two weeks ago, yesterday, uh, over 1,200 um, Israelis were brutally killed. Many women and children, horrific things, which I won't go into detail, but you, if you have, if you know what's going on, you know how brutal it is. And then over 150 were kidnapped, mostly women and children were kidnapped. Since then, in those last two weeks, innocent lives on both sides of the border with Palestine and Israel, both sides of the border have seen innocent lives. There's so much going on, and I wanted to speak to it today from a biblical context, and um, want to just speak on this title, Israel, the End Times, and the Church. Israel, End Times, and the Church. I'm going to stick pretty close to my notes today, but I believe, um, if you stick with me today, I believe God wants to speak to us in this season. The Bible says that we are to be readers of the times. It says you can read the weather, but you can't read the times. And I believe as a church and as Christians, we're to focus on God's plan for our lives, but to have our heads about us and to have our heads up and read the season we're in. I believe God wants to speak to you. I believe he wants to speak to us as a church. So let me pray today. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's here even today. I, I feel you even Holy Spirit in this moment. I thank you that you're drawing us closer to you. I pray these next few minutes that you would help me, you would help us. God, our desire is your plan for our lives. Our desire is your will over our will. Our desire is for your kingdom, not ours. And I pray as we unpack scripture today as a church that God, you would continue to form our worldview. You would help us. Father, we pray right now for your grace and your help. I pray even as Brent prayed, I pray for miracles, even under the sound of my voice today as we worship online and in person. I pray there be miracles in marriages and those uh, in, in their singleness. I pray in finances. I pray in business. I pray in their children. I pray in relationships. There be miracles today. Holy Spirit, would you come as only you can in this room. In Jesus' name, everybody said. I want to speak from a biblical context. And you need to know that we're Jesus people here in this church. 
It's interesting you were how well you guys responded to Brent today. I think the, 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 the new voice, I'm like, man, he's getting laughs today. They cheered for superheroes. I'm like, my gosh. Um, our church was vocal during the announcements. I'm like, I need Brent to do more on stage. He's like the warm-up act. He was fantastic, Brent. And um, by the way, adults, don't come to Spider-Man next week. Don't scare the kids. Um, uh, uh, I dress up as a youth pastor every single Sunday. That's my superhero. I'm now a lead pastor, but I dress up as a youth pastor. You know the difference between a lead pastor and a senior pastor? Uh, is cool clothes. That's the only difference. And, um, um, but I want to bring a biblical context today. Um, it's interesting. In 1899, one of my favorite quotes of history is in 1899, um, Charles Dwell, I believe his name is, was the commissioner of the patents office in the United States. This is the office that you went to, whether you were patenting a new invention, uh, and they were keeping it all organized. And he made this statement, his office made this statement in 1899. He said, everything that can be invented has been invented. I don't know about you, but everything I use has been invented since then. Like, like the, the, the phone I use, the car I drive, the Chick-fil-A, uh, I like the Popeye's chicken I'll be eating on my way home today has all been invented since 1899. And if we're not careful, we will base our view, our worldview, we'll base our values, we'll base our, our goals and our opinions on culture. And it's amazing how in 1899 they're like, hey, listen, this is what culture says. There's nothing new that can be invented and how... Uh, history has proved that wrong. I've learned in my life that we value the word of God. It's not easy, but I believe it's true. And I want to speak today to the word of God, even to this situation in Israel. And um, there's a lot of fear around the situation. I believe there's some, some right concern. And I want to speak into it to deeply concerned about the, the, the living conditions in Gaza we're seeing right now, the horrific violence seeing on children and women and civilians on both sides of the border. I've been watching the last two weeks. I've been learning. I've been studying. And I'm thankful for mentors, both near and far, that have helped me. I want to just thank Pastor Tim in New York for his insights and Pastor Lee in Michigan. But I've been on a journey of trying to unpack myself as me and Nancy lead this church to lead us as a church. This is not something I speak about and I actually think about that often. But I know as culture and as times arise, we need to lead and lead well and use the Bible as our context. I need to start with the main source of the violence in this situation. The main dispute for the violence is this. Does Israel have a right to the land that they are in, or are they a legal occupation? If you're studying, if you're hearing um, um, reports and people's opinions, the main dispute is, is, is Israel, is this their land, or are they occupying it? Are they a legal occupation and they are treated as such. I want to go at it first today from historical. I encourage you to take notes. If not, this is online, uh, which is always risky, but here we go. Uh, let's just think about the comment section right now. Love you online, church. You're the best. Uh, we will block you, so just know that. All right. Uh, <laughs> but um, you might want to rewatch this message um, for some context. Historically, I want to go through uh, historically, I want to go through politically, and then I want to go through biblically talking about um, Israel and the land. Does Israel have a right to the land or are they a legal occupation? Historically, Israel has been in the land for over 3,500 years. It's been occupied by empires and nomads, but the Jews had been there long before 1948 when they were recognized as a nation. Both biblically and with archaeology confirms that Jews have been there consistently 
as a people group for over 3,500 years. You can go through historically and see Joshua, from Joshua to King David, King David's temple, to Solomon, to Jesus himself lived as Jewish men lived in that land. And every year, it's interesting that more ruins, more evidence is uncovered confirming the biblical narrative that the Jewish history is in that land. Others have lived there as well, but you can dispute, you cannot dispute that this is what they call their homeland. Politically, such a complicated place. I remember growing up and there would be from rap artists to, to movie stars to even churches of, of talk about peace in the Middle East. And you also need to know this. This is not a preamble to me and Nancy starting Holy Land tours next year. So many times in churches, they talk on Israel, and then they announce a tour that they're going to be taking couples and people. to. This is not. Also, we're not looking to start blowing shofars in the church, just so you know that. Um, if you have a shofar, leave that at home. Um, our saying is shofar so good. Just <laughs> leave that home. We're not that church, and we're not, we're not into um, a lot of those things. This is not our, our plied uh, to go into that. But um, politically, I've heard this my whole life, peace in the Middle East is such a turbulent place. The Jews were scattered outside of Israel in 70 A.D. That's when they were dispersed. And the dream of the Jewish people ever since, who were displaced, were they gathered back in their homeland. And that just wasn't their desire when the reality of becoming a nation in 1948, but it's actually is documented in the mid-19th century. The Jewish leaders, who were scattered primarily all over Europe, started talking about returning to Israel in a movement that politically you could call it Zionism. They were, they, 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 they were pushed out and they were refugees all over Europe and they started gathering and dreaming what would happen if we could go back into this land of Israel and it was a movement called Zionism. Palestinian people are people of Arab descent who live in the, in the region that was occupied by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire called the first empire to call the place Palestinia. Now, 2,000 years ago, Palestinia was, uh, was named, was the name placed on the land. And it's interesting that it was because the Romans who conquered the Jews, they wanted to humiliate them. In fact, when you read the New Testament, you need to understand the context that it's if the Roman occupying force in Israel. That's why you see Jesus saying things like about paying taxes. He's like, give to Caesar, who was the Roman emperor, what is Caesar's, give to God, what is God's. And there was all this context that they were being occupied by Rome. 2,000 years ago, the Romans conquered the Jews and they wanted to humiliate them. They stripped their national identity from the tribe of Judah. That's where we get the term Jews, come from the tribe of Judah. And to humiliate them, they went through the Jewish scriptures and they found that their main enemy throughout history was a group called the Philistines. If you grew up in church, you would have known the most famous Philistine is the giant Goliath. And they went through scripture, went through the, the Torah, and they went through um, scripture, and they found who is their main enemy, the, the Philistines. And because there's no F sound in Latin, they chose to call it the Philistines or the Palestinia, and called the Jews, which switched over into Palestinians as a way of mocking the Jews. The first Palestinians were actually Jews, labeled that by the, by the Romans to humiliate them. Palestine has never been, had never been a sovereign nation. To this day, um, 60 or so countries do not recognize it as a sovereign nation in the United Nations. 
Most recently, it's been under the control of great empires, that whole area of the land, of many empires greater than them. Most recently, the Ottoman Empire, which was an Islamic empire, controlled it. The British Empire also went in, and they defeated the Ottoman Empire in World War I. At the end of World War I in 1917, they were ready to give back the land to the Jewish people to fulfill their dream of Zionism in 1917. In fact, if you can look it up, there's a declaration called the Balfour Declaration. It was a public statement issued by the British government in 1917, over 100 years ago, during the First World War, announcing its support for the establishment of a national home for Jewish people in Palestine. And they offered a two-state solution, a home for Arabs and a home for Jews. Well, right after 1917, the world was still in chaos, and we know what happens after World War I. It fairly quickly went into World War II, bringing on uh, the greatest tragedy for the Jewish people in modern time, the Holocaust. Where a Christian nation, I think it's important to notice that a Christian nation of Germany murdered six and a half million Jews in four years. Before that, they went into Russia, and it's uncounted how many Jews they killed in Russia. But in four years, if your mind just wants to go there for a minute, six and a half million Jews were killed by a nation that called itself Christian. Again, the greatest, the greatest threat to Christianity is a Christless faith. In those four years, they took their property, they taught culture and taught their children and taught the world uh, this, this view that uh, Jews were not be treated as people, that they could not be trusted, that they were thieves, that they weren't even human, and that culture started to spread. After World War II, the United Nations, after learning of the atrocities of the prison camps and the, and, and, and the death camps, they came out on May 14th in 1948, and the United Nations designated and recognized Israel as a sovereign nation and a place for the Jewish people on May 14th, 1948. It's interesting enough, the very first nation to make a public statement of support from this UN in the same day, within minutes of that declaration, was the United States with President Truman. He said, we support it as a nation. Once Israel became independent, war broke out. It's interesting, just before this UN offered um, UN declaration, just before that, the year before, they made an offer for a two-state solution for both the Arabs and the Jews to make two nations, two places of land to share it, and the Arab nations collectively rejected it. Once that declaration came out on May 14th, 1948, this is a nation, uh, war broke out, and there's been five wars since, and now we're in a current conflict, which many are pointing to a full-on war, which we are concerned about because it's talking about dragging in Iran, dragging in Lebanon and Hezbollah, and dragging in even Russia right now, they say, as a, as a hidden partner, but could become more, even this week, um, if you're following the news, the, the tensions have turned up um, in the Black Sea as they start to rally and support Iran and Gaza. Spiritually, that's politically. Spiritually, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this? Honoring Israel is a Bible thing. And again, I want to say this, that what's challenging is the culture we're in. I've never seen a culture like this in my life, in my 48 years, is, is we are not a Christian nation anymore. That, that wasn't a question. That was actually a statement. We're not. 
Um, I've never seen us so far from. I have great hope because I believe called us to this. God's called us to this time. I believe God's grace. I believe there's so much room to reach people. If you're a guest here today, you picked an amazing Sunday to show up to church. Um, but it, honoring, honoring Israel is a Bible thing. Sometimes Bible things are challenging in culture. God, we, we value as Jesus followers, and we hold the, the Bible in high value. We find out this is a great, this is a great value to have as, as believers. Find out what God blesses and embrace it. That's why you need to read your Bible. That's why you don't need to listen just to a preacher or to uh, a podcast or read books by great authors. You need to read your Bible for yourself. Find out what the God blesses, and then we embrace that. Because culture will change. Churches can get off track. Men and women can have unsound doctrine. Find out what God blesses and embrace it is a great rule for your faith. God blesses, it's clear in scripture, and embraces the nation of Israel. So we are as well. No other nation on earth, no other nation on earth, do we know its origin, its present, and its future with such clarity as we do with Israel. Genesis 12, 1 to 3, you'll see this, a lot of scriptures today on the screen behind me. Too many probably to turn to, but we'd encourage you to write it down or go back and watch. Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it talks about Israel, and those that embrace Israel will be blessed. The land was given to Abram before he was turned into Abraham and his descendants, the Jews. Genesis 15, 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. From the, river of e- from, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Genesis 17, 8, he reinstates that. He says, I will establish my covenant between you, me and you, and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you, to your offspring after you. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Canaan and all the ever- as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. There are some covenants in Scripture that pass. The Mosaic Covenant, which was the law, passed when the new covenant came in that Jesus ushered in. But the Abrahamic Covenant that we see in Genesis is an everlasting covenant. It does not pass. Jesus didn't get rid of it in the New Testament. He fulfilled it and, and um, elevated it. It says it's an everlasting covenant. And it says that the land will be an everlasting possession. If everlasting, here's a thought, if everlasting is conditional, you say, well, that was Genesis, and it's conditional. If an everlasting is conditional or can expire, we as Gentile believers or non-Jewish Christians should be worried about our salvation. If that covenant, if, that, if those words, is an everlasting covenant is temporal, then we should be worried about our faith. But I believe the scripture is true, and God's not a man that he would lie. And he says it's an everlasting covenant, and that land is everlasting possession. That's the biblical stance for Israel. Again, the Bible talks about God's promises to protect Israel. Jeremiah 31, verse 35. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. It's interesting, God saying the day the sun stops shining is the day Israel will cease from being a nation before me. Though it was cloudy today, I can tell you the sun rose in Halifax today. 
If you live anywhere near the ocean, you know the waves were hitting the shore today. And the, the waves hitting the shore and the sun shining and seeing the moon and stars by night is proof that God is still in charge. And God goes, those will have to be removed before, uh, before Israel is removed from being a nation before him. God supports and elevates and promotes and protects Israel. Israel is meant to be a nation by God. And it isn't going anywhere. That's a promise from God. It's not my view. That's the biblical view. It's not going anywhere. The Jewish people are God's people. People have hated the Jews throughout history because they hate God. It's more than a hate of people. It's more than racism. It's actually a hate of God. It's, a, it's an antichrist spirit. Racism is when you hate people. The Jews, it's more than that. People hate God, so they hate the Jewish people. There's been no other people group throughout history has been more constantly under attack or persecuted or being threat of being wiped off the map than the Israeli Jewish people because it's not a, a, so much as a racism thing, which is evil. It's a hatred of God. Zechariah chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For this is what the Lord Almighty says, after the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them. The apple of his eye. The, the, the Jewish people are actually the apple of God's eye. God is saying when you fight against Israel, you fight against God. The only way to remove the Jewish people from this planet is to remove God. And folks, I got news for you. God's not going May of 1948, May 14th of 1948, was a miracle day for Israel. Being recognized as a nation. And when that happened, it fulfilled scripture and prophecy. See, scripture is both a marriage of prophecy, which is God's word for what he intends to do, and miracles, which is God's action of what he's doing now. Prophecy speaks to the future. Miracles interrupt the present. Jesus is the climax of that intersection of prophecy and miracles. But we see prophecy uh, here. I'm going to read in Ezekiel that Israel will become a nation. And the miracle happened on May 14th, 1948. Watch this. Ezekiel 37, verse 21. And give them this message from a sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. I will bring them home to their own land from the places they have been scattered. Isaiah 66, verse 8. Who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who has ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? But by the time Jerusalem's birth pains begin, her children will be born. We saw those two scriptures come to fulfillment May 14th, 1948, when in one day, Israel became a sovereign nation. It's important to know this, to be pro-Israel is not to be anti-Arab. doesn't mean you're anti-Arab or anti-Middle East. To be pro-Israel is not to be political. It's to be biblical. To be pro-Israel is not a blanket statement of support for a government or a leader of Israel. It's not. There is corruption in government. There is wrong decisions. There is evil. And even at this time, most Israeli Jews are far from God, Jesus as Savior. To be pro-Israel is, is not to be political, 
but it's to be biblical. To be pro-Israel is not anti-Arab or anti-Middle East. It's not blindly supporting a government, but it's supporting the people that God has ordained. Israel is the center of the spiritual world. Ezekiel 5.5, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set at the center of all nations, with countries all around her. Israel is where the Ten Commandments come from. Israel is where the Bible came from, and Israel is where Jesus came from. Israel is the center of the spiritual world. Last weekend, I was away on a golfing trip with some guys in Prince Edward Island, or as I call it, looking for all the balls I lose in the woods. Um, you're like, Mike, you golf? Not well. <laughs> Not well at all. Um, it's interesting. The weather was horrible for the weekend, and we've been waiting for this trip all year, and it was canceled last year because of a hurricane, so excited. Um, and as we started watching the weather, it's like, this is a horrible weekend of weather. And, uh, but we were determined to get out there and avoid the rain. And I was watching the projected wind and rains on every app I could find. I have AccuWeather. I have the weather app. I have, I have everything. I'm watching, trying to watch the weather in New York as it comes up the coast in case it's a, it's a, it, it, it's a high a pressure system. I'm watching up uh, Quebec and Ontario in case it's a low pressure system. I'm trying to figure it all out. I'm using satellites and up-to-the-minute radar. In fact, we were watching the rainstorms come over PEI, and we were judging where we are going to golf based on the rain. We are watching in live time. Like, oh, there's an hour here free of rain. We should golf there. Oh, it looks like we're going to get this many millimeters here, and we're using radar and satellites to figure out our golfing trip. I remember the old days when you watched the Weather Channel, or as my parents do now, watch the Weather Channel. Just on, you go to my parents' house, it's on repeat all day long. Remember that? You have to wait 30 minutes for them to get around to your map of where you live, your province, your city. And if they did, oh, we had to go read a paper. Remember those? Like, like think about the, the, I think they had prophets working at the newspaper, like, in Nova Scotia, to read the weather seven days out, you have to have a prophetic gift because it changes in five minutes, right? But you have to watch the weather network or the paper, and if it didn't discuss where you wanted the weather, you were out of luck. You were going in blind. You had no updates. You know, one trap for us in culture is that we try to get our updates, our view from each other, from news sources, from social media, my God, from celebrities, just because they can act on a TV show. For some reason, we think they have the insight on world events. One trap is us looking to culture to get the future of our lives and the times ahead. I want to encourage you, we need an overhead view. We need a higher perspective. Like I use an app uh, from satellites to get the weather. We need an overhead view, and we need one that sees all and knows all, and that's God who wants to guide us. That is the struggle we are in. We are wise in our own eyes. The Bible says, no, no, God knows the beginning from the end. He's working, he's moving, and he must be our source. Politics, the UN, Twitter, or X as it's called now, news programs will not lead me and should not lead us on our views of Israel. God will be my source and lead us in our views of Israel. Just like he leads our views on family, on sexuality, on how we run our lives, on purity, it's the, the Bible is our source. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I am thankful that I'm not waiting for an app or social media or some celebrity pastor or influencer to give me views. I'm thankful that God speaks through his word and through his spirit. 
In fact, even David in Scripture encourages us to pray for Jerusalem in the Psalms. And then he writes in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 17, he writes this about Jerusalem. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You have made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations that stood in their way. He's like, Mike, that's Old Testament. Let's look at the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Romans 9 through 11. Romans is, is, is really, um, it's, a, it's a book of the Bible that, that solidifies our faith. It talks about how we were saved from sin by grace, not by works. It, um, we, we, we enjoy Romans. If you're looking to go deeper in your faith and solidify your faith, the book of Romans. But Paul in 9 through 11 in the New Testament is key to understanding the church's connection with Israel. Romans 9 is all about God's sovereignty, that God's in charge. Sovereignty defined, it's a word we use in church. Listen to what, how sovereignty is defined. God does what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. Sounds like some of your three-year-olds in this room. God is sovereign. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, without asking anyone's permission. That's sovereignty. That's sovereignty. Romans 9, 11 to 15. Let me read this about the sovereignty of God. Talking about Jacob and Esau, the, who, who actually was the start of the Israeli nation. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Listen to this about God's sovereignty in verse 11 of Romans 9. For though the twins were not yet born, yet had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. You need to know that's counterculture in that day. Counterculture. Culture is the youngest serves the oldest. It says here, God says, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there no injustice with God? Is there? Far from it, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whoever, whoever I will have mercy, and I will show compassion on whoever I show compassion. This is counterculture. Culture would have said it this way. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. If culture had its way, because we say that, he's a generational God, you always hear it. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Culture, if they had their way, would have said, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But God said, no, I'm sovereign. I'm changing it. Sovereignty of God is a larger plan. Culture is not in charge. So the Bible and history, God chooses who he wants to work with and in what timing. That's the sovereignty of God. And we and I and you have a hard time with that until we have a revelation that God's in charge and we are not. That's a really hard statement. Don't let that wash over you. God's in charge and we are not. Until we get that revelation... We will struggle with rebellion and doubt and struggle in our faith. The sovereignty of God is he was God before you. He'll be God after you. He doesn't need my permission or your opinion. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. That's the sovereignty of God. He's God. He's not our, just our friend. He's not just our savior. He's not just our counselor. He's not just our buddy that, we, that, we, that we're so thankful that he helps us. He's actually sovereign, which means he's in charge. There is no vote to put him on a throne. You cannot. There's no population survey. There's no poll on his trending numbers that will get him kicked out of office. He is God. He's in charge. And the root of much of our frustration is we think we should be in charge. In fact, it's the original sin. And we still struggle with it. I still struggle with it. I think I should be in charge of my life. God is sovereign. 
I don't know why God chose the Jewish people, and I don't know why he favors Israel. But God chooses Israel because God is sovereign. God made the heavens and the earth. God made man from the dust of the earth. God formed a plan, sending his son to rescue us from rebellion of sin. God has a plan for mankind. He has a plan for your life and my life, and he invites us to be a part of it, but he does not need our permission or opinion because God is sovereign. Deuteronomy 7 speaks to God choosing the Jews. I don't know why he did, but he did. Deuteronomy 7 for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his personal possession. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord did not make the, the Lord did not make you his beloved or choose you because you were greater in number than any other peoples, since you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by his mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. If you ask the question, well, then why did God choose the Jews? You must also ask the question, then why did God choose you and me? Because he's sovereign. Because he should never have chosen me. And he should never have chosen you. But he did. Romans 9 is saying God's saying I'm sovereign. Romans 10 is saying we co-labor of God's plan and calls for intercession. It calls us and commits us to pray for Israel. 9, God says I'm in charge. Romans 10 says, hey. Partner with me. Look at Romans 10, verse 1. Paul says here, Believe me, friends, all I want for Israel is what's best for Israel, salvation, nothing less. I want it with all my heart, and I pray to God for it all the time. We're invited to partner with God's sovereignty and pray for Israel. Romans 11 is I anticipate God's will being accomplished. Nine, he's sovereign. Ten, he says, partner with me in intercession. And 11, we anticipate what will be accomplished. You cannot study the end times, and some of you have been talking to me about the end times. Pastor, what's going on? What about tribulation, Armageddon? What about the rapture, the second coming of Jesus? You cannot study this, the end times without watching Israel. I didn't say Fox News. I said Israel. There's a difference. Romans 11, 25, 26. For I do not want you brothers or sisters to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened in Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And so then all Israel will be saved, just as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion, and he'll remove ungodliness from Jacob. They're saying, once the Gentiles, I'm a Gentile. I'm a non-Jewish person. Once the fullness has happened of the Gentiles coming to salvation, and we are a part of that prophecy, you are here today following Jesus as a non-Jew, as a Gentile believer. And it says when that has fully happened, then God will go to Israel and Israel will all be saved. You need to know, church, God's not done with Israel. And we are close to the end times when Israel serves Jesus. That's how you know. So here's the question that asks, how does God save Israel? Most of Israel are Jewish people waiting for their Messiah. We believe the Messiah came in Jesus. That's why Jesus goes, I am the Son of God, and they rejected him. And they nailed him to a cross. They said, that's blasphemy. You're not the Messiah. We're waiting for the Messiah. He's going to come through the sky, break the sky open, come riding in champion as a warrior. And Jesus goes, I am the Messiah, born humbly. And they're like, we're, we're still waiting. They will accept Jesus. The prophecy is Israel will turn to God. So how do they get saved? How does Israel, God, how does God save all of Israel? <laughs> this answer might surprise you. 
And it speaks to what we've seen even these last few weeks. And it gives context and it gives hope to even what we're seeing right now. It's when Israel sees the supernatural protection of God over their nation that they will acknowledge Jesus. Let me show you from Scripture. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3. It'll come about on that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the people. All who lift it will injure themselves. Basically saying, those that come against Israel, it'll be painful. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. Prophecy says right now that nations that support Israel won't. All the nations will go against Israel at some point. Don't be surprised in the next few weeks you start seeing things start to flop and change in politics and in statements because it's actually biblical. All the nations on the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with insanity. But I watch over the house of Judah and I will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. That speaks to not so much horses, but to attacks as to tactics and weapons. Verse five, then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are a strong support for us through the Lord of armies of God. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I'll pour it on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, my spirit of grace and of the pleading. So they will look at me whom they pierced, which is foretelling of Jesus. And they will mourn for him like one mourning for the only son. Speaking again to Jesus, for God shall love the world, he gave his only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like weeping, bitter weeping over a firstborn. Chapter 13, verse 1. And on that day, a fountain will be opened in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. It's speaking of Israel following Jesus and him forgiving them of their sins. God will use the attacks on Israel and his protection of them to point the nation to Jesus. It is actually a part of their salvation. When the Israeli people see God's protection, he's done it. I won't go into it, the Six-Day War, which happened in, right after they became a nation. Miraculous miracles happened against the, with the Israeli army protection. I don't understand it, but God favors Israel. So what do we do as a church in light of this? In light of the scripture, what do we do as a church? What is our response? First, we trust the sovereignty of God. We follow his leading. I would say this is an Israel point, but this is also your point for your life. You're raising kids, you need to understand the sovereignty of God. If you understand your place in the workplace, you need to understand the sovereignty of God. God's in charge. He's not our partner. He's not our buddy. God's in charge. And we must trust the sovereignty of God. God's been working the world before we got here, and he'll work it when we're gone. We trust the sovereignty of God. Secondly, we partner with God. We pray for peace. We pray for Israel's salvation. We pray for the protection over innocent Palestinians and Israelites caught in the middle. We need to pray for the Gaza Strip. We need to pray for the West Bank. We need to pray for the Arab countries for peace and protection over these innocent lives. We need to pray for peace in that area. Matthew 5, 7 and 8 says it this way how we're supposed to pray. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace. They should be called the children of God. We pray and we work for peace in that area of the world. We trust the sovereign God, we partner with God, and we pray. We pray for peace. 
And thirdly, we choose faith over fear. He is a promise-keeping God. And church, I don't know, some of you might think, I don't even listen to the news, it's not a big deal for me, I'm just worrying about paying for my groceries. Others of you have been wrapped up in fear. As this, you just, depending on who you listen to, this could be ushering of World War III, it could put the world unstable, I don't know where you're at. I choose faith over fear, because God is sovereign, He has a plan. We partner with Him in prayer, and we put our faith in Him. I have more faith and fear for my children, for my marriage, for our church, for our city, and for the nations of the world. We choose faith over fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Today, as we close, before we sing about God, that's a way maker. We're gonna believe he's gonna make a way for peace in Israel and in Palestine. We're gonna believe for peace in the Gaza Strip. We're gonna believe, even now as it's getting ready, it says that Israel's getting ready to march in, that there will be peace, there'll be a standing down, there'll be a protection over lives that the living conditions, that they'll get aid, they'll get water, they'll get power, they'll get peace. We're going to pray today for Israel, and we're going to pray for the Palestinians. Would you stand to your feet today before we sing this song with the waymaker of a God? Can I ask you not to watch me pray? Can we pray together right now? Can we lift our faith? The Bible says pray for Israel. We're following our sovereign God as believers, following his lead. Father, right now we lift up. Father, this situation in the Middle East, Father, we pray for peace. We pray for peace, Father God. God, we know that you have called the Jewish people, that you have established Israel, and we pray for peace, Father God, on every border. God, we pray for protection, Father God, over Israelis. We pray for protection, Father God, over Palestinians. We pray for protection, Father God, over the Lebanese. We pray for protection over that Middle Eastern area. We pray for peace on every border. We pray for protection. Father, we speak to those hostages to be released in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for the violence to come to an end in Jesus' name. We speak peace and protection over that area. And we pray for salvation. We pray for the salvation of Jesus Christ on every border. Palestinians, Arabs, Israelis, we pray for the salvation in Jesus' name. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And we speak your will in Jesus' name. And everybody said, church, can we sing this? Can we give our fear back to God, believing he is the way maker today? We lift our hands in support, the God that will make a way where there seems to be no way. Come on, let's sing this in faith today. You are way maker, miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are way
Church, be blessed as you go. The coffee is free and flowing in the lobby. If you are new, we'd love for you.